It's been a minute. It's also been a long week, and it's only Tuesday mm. at the time of this recording. You don't you hate to hear that. Yeah. Why? But maybe, uh, maybe I'm just referring to today because uh, uh, I was an hour late to a two-hour lab. <laughs> so, did you ever sleep? What was it? Nope. Even worse. Call of Duty. Nope. Just flat incompetence. Can't read a schedule. Can't read a calendar. Mm. So did you walk in in the middle of it or did you like catch a break and then come in? Oh, yeah. I walked in in the middle of it and just shameless. I mean, what option do you have? I mean, yeah, I was preparing myself for condescending looks the moment that I got in my truck. Did you receive any? No. A few laughs. <laughs> but that was better than condescending looks, I guess. <laughs> it happens, man. What about the yeah. professor? Not a word. Hmm. Well. But it happens. We were doing... Um, Auscultation today. <laughs> Auscultations are fun. Y'all do like, yeah. uh, gosh, I can't remember the word. It starts with an E, but you like have them say like 99 or blue balloon and like all the. I haven't reached that level of education yet. I, it'll probably come t- literally tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we have another one uh, Thursday, so yeah. it'll probably come then. Um, How's your week going? I mean, I can't complain, really. I've been kind of wrecked with evals, but the business is, I guess, picking up after the pandemic. Got to get them in. Yeah. Um, we have a few... Uh, it's kind of hard to... It seems like the longer of a gap we have between episodes the harder it is to figure out where to begin. Mm-hmm. We we just purely get out of the flow of it. What I want to talk about first, if if I may. Yeah. I just want to know about the white coat ceremony. That's kind of lit. Um, I mean, like it, is, it, it probably sounds more prestigious and important than what it actually is. Yeah, from the outside looking in, it's like... That's a moment that I think would be huge. Was it everything you hoped it to be, or did you even (laughs) hope it to be anything? No, and let me tell you why. Okay. Because the normal white coat ceremony at VCOM, which is not the same at like every medical school, it's just a ceremony. It's like a tradition thing. Um, But the normal one pre-COVID was held sometime in October, I think. Um, like during first year and they tried to push it back to um, I guess it was last week in hopes that they would allow family and friends to come mm-hmm. and so they kept pushing it back they even sent an email saying you know like if you like basically they given us the option to have it then in October with nobody there 
or have it now with supposedly people there, hopefully. <laughs> so it naturally everybody pushed it off, hoping that they could actually bring their family and friends to it. And then because of some Auburn, I think it's Auburn's policy because the building we had it in was, uh, belonged to the university. Uh-huh. Uh, they wouldn't allow us to do it. So they basically had us spaced <laughs> out. So yeah, it was a white coat ceremony with just us, no guests. So what y'all originally tried to avoid ultimately happened. Yes. Solid. That's yeah. good stuff. But I mean, you know, it's, it's like most ceremonies. It's more of a symbol than, yeah, than anything else. It's not like that big of a deal. But they essentially just uh, they gave us our white coats the weekend of, um, with medical student written on it, and it's a shorter white coat. So I'm sure you know the longer white coat is for doctors, and mm-hmm. then if you wear a short white coat, you're a student still. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but they gave us those and like did some speeches and stuff and put them on us on the stage, gave us a couple pins and we went on our way. <laughs> Doesn't sound all that bad. I just like yeah. in PT school, a lot of my classmates would look at other physical therapy programs and there were other programs. I don't know about in the state, but at least in the country that we're doing white coat ceremonies for physical therapy and they, hmm. a lot of my classmates were envious of it, and they were upset that we didn't do it. And then the class directly behind us had a white coat ceremony. That was one of those things. Mm. I, I didn't care one way or the other, but like from the outside looking in on like a medical student, it just seems like one of those moments that you would kind of look forward to is like the ultimate crowning outside of graduating. Well, right, yeah. No, you're right. I, I did look forward to it, but not for myself I just looked forward to having my family there because mm-hmm. you know that, that meant more to me than just me getting a you know a white coat right it doesn't really matter to me like um but yeah it's all right I mean I guess they they did what they could do given the circumstances right Shouts out to I I did watch the um the very tail end of the masters right before the ceremony started. <laughs> so, were you pleased with the outcome? I uh, I wasn't like upset about it, but it's not the outcome I wanted. Right. And a lot of people were upset with me that I was upset with the outcome. Like the people that I was watching it with, they were like, "Why wouldn't you want him to win it?" It's like cuz you have a young American without PGA Tour status directly behind him and then Jordan Spieth not too far along either. Either of those being better options in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Right. It's like I'm gonna I root agree. of course I'm gonna root for my home country, but I'm surprised you were given resistance to that. I was. It but it, <laughs> it was a bunch of people who weren't necessarily avid fans and so they had not picked a side. Oh uh, they were okay. just they were rooting for a good story. Whereas gotcha. I had picked a side and that was not the side. Which, speaking of Hideki Matsuyama, <laughs> why, this is this might come across the wrong way. If so, we can edit it out. But I don't <laughs> understand how you can spend 
what is it, 10, 11 years on the tour and not learn English. That That's a tough one to understand as well. I've heard mixed reviews. Like I, a little bit. Right. I've heard that, um, that he does know some English and that he's self-conscious of his ability to speak. And if that's true, that's... I mean, it kind of tugs on the heartstring of being self-conscious. I have been self-conscious for many things in my lifetime. But on the flip, mm-hmm. you have like the John Rom story who learned English from listening to rap and he's very fluent in English now. Yeah. And so I didn't even know I didn't even know John Rom was Spanish for a while. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from with the PGA Tour being your home tour. Mm-hmm. It's for I mean a decade, you're right. I mean it's yeah, it's not like he's like spent time like in on other golf tours. Right. right? He, he's been he's I mean, been he's, playing here for a while. I wonder if he lives here. Do you know? I don't really know. I know that he was on a flight to Tokyo like the day after the Masters. Yeah. I won- so I don't know. I wonder who he surrounds himself by. Like if he does live in America during the greater portion of the year while playing. I wonder who he's surrounded by. Like, is there other players? Cause I mean, there's not that like many. Like what's jack- his group? Yeah. Who's his entourage? Hmm. That's actually a good question. Cause I don't know. Cause like you, you associate, you know, Jordan Spieth and, mm. uh, like even like Rory and like some of the younger guys mm-hmm. and Justin Thomas. Yeah. They're just all there together. Yeah, and then you can maybe, look at maybe not as much Rory. I don't know how much he hangs out with him, but like yeah. definitely Spieth and JT. Mm-hmm. Like you can peg the crews. Like I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure like Paparez and Harold Varner the third all hang out. I, th- I think it's geographic too. It's like you got the Scottsdale crew, you got the Jupiter, Florida crew. Yeah. Also speculating on some of that, but yeah, I don't. I have no idea who. Hideki hangs out with but his swing I I will say his swing is one of the more enjoyable swings to watch on tour it's so dang disciplined yeah I don't know how he does it Mm -mm. he stops he he stops at the top he's like if uh uh if Charles Barkley was like have you ever seen him (laughs) swing a golf club the major hitch the major hitch except if he like drilled that to perfection <laughs> you're not lying have you seen the video of Hideki and Jason Duffner hitting side by side on the range oh the one where like like he Hideki starts, gets to the top and then yeah. Duff starts his swing and they make impact at roughly the same time it, and it's not even that's not an exaggeration either no it, that's what it looks like yeah it's unbelievable wild man I was watching this video called, uh, I can't remember the title of it, but uh, it was probably Jordan Peterson, if I had to guess. I'm kind of obsessed with him, so sorry about that. Um, you do reference him a lot, and I still I still haven't looked him up. I'll be candid. Well, I've been listening to his book like on and off, and so it kind of prolongs my exposure to him. But I promise he's not the only person I listen to. But I do admire him. I think he's, um, I think he's like a one of the more profound thinkers of our time. That people are kind of, if you don't know about him, then 
you're missing out. But anyways. Yeah, I feel like I'm doing uh, myself a disservice by not looking him up as often as you reference him. Well, like, imagine if you were at, alive at the time of, like, Frederick Nietzsche or, like, Carl Jung or, like, another really great philosopher. Yeah. And I'm not saying that he's a philosopher. He's actually just a clinical psychologist. But you would want to listen to them if you could. Right. You know, I feel like that's kind of the situation that he's at. I might be overhyping him because I'm a big <laughs> fan of him. But no. Whatever. I'll knock you for it. Anyways, um, a harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a dangerous man who does good in spite of it. I like it. Uh, I think... It kind of speaks to the heart of a man. Yeah. I think the reason... Maybe this wasn't actually... Oh, I, I, I remember now. That's how long ago this was when I wrote this down. I remember why I wrote this. I think this was a thought that came to my mind after watching something that Jordan Peterson said. Mm. This isn't a direct quote. Oh, so he didn't say that. You said that. He didn't. I said that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But anyways, um, what, the reason I thought about that was because... Well, I feel like we... We live in a time where, like, especially as a man, like, we're just talking about men here, right? Mm -hmm. There's a certain subsect of men, even in Christian culture, that think, I'm just going to be a good man. I'm just going to avoid trouble. I'm going to, and that calls me a good man because I'm going to not take any risk. I'm not going to do anything that would hurt anybody and don't get me wrong those things in and of themselves are fine mm -hmm. you know but but it doesn't make you in my opinion a good man just by avoiding trouble i think the i think what makes somebody a good man is if you have the capability to do wrong mm -hmm. if you have the capability to in other words, you're a very powerful person mm -hmm. and you can misuse that power for the wrong ways, but you decide not to and you decide to control it. Right. I think that's what makes you a good man. That's very interesting. What are your thoughts on that? I don't disagree with the latter part for sure because you see a lot of guys that strive for power or status or influence or whatever. And there's times where it seems like the good that does come of it might be a mere formality. But then the ones that... Hmm, where am I trying to go with this? Like, for example, like... I'm not trying to single out professional athletes by any means. But it seems like more as a... Pub pub publicity thing, geez. They do the charities and stuff like that for the publicity. Maybe mm. not the attention. That might not be the right word, but it's like, it's not a marketing thing. But do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. It's just like a financial move 
just in their yeah i don't know like, how to say that like you don't well, see many professional athletes reach that level and then just be the most aggressive advocate for any one societal thing yeah it's like it just seems like oh i'm just going to give back in this little way or whatever it is, but you don't see anyone aggressively using the platform that they reached at the professional level to create this larger impact beyond their play. Like it, I feel like those guys are few and far between. They're out there. Do, but is that what you you're saying? Oh, uh, well, not directly, but that's no, not directly, something but you can pull from it, but like, do you think that they like athletes should be that way? That athletes should be more outspoken on. Yes, for sure. I think like, like if you have that kind of platform and that kind of influence, heck yes. I think I agree with you to like, an extent. The world is listening to you. You can make a large impact. I mean, hundreds of thousands of middle school and high school kids wearing basketball shoes of these professional guys, they have the chance to change those kids' lives because they're just idolized in their eyes. And that doesn't necessarily speak to the dangerous man part of your quote, but it's it's like you could do a lot of good from that platform. You have you hold a lot of power over a lot of people. Yeah. I know uh, this, this is not the direction you wanted it to go, but it was the easiest way for my mind to get there. No, I don't care. This is uh, this is completely fine. I was going to kind of explore that a little bit because my problem with that is that it's hard for me to... I guess I have to know what you're talking about when you say, when we're talking about issues in general because yeah. if, if you're talking about a political issue, then it's hard for me to listen to somebody who didn't study maybe they look into politics but most of them don't based on what i hear from mm-hmm. them saying is completely ignorant and they don't know what they're talking about <laughs> and people well, listen to them because because they're famous and they're athletes yeah like kind of like the this is not political but the Kyrie Irving flat earth theory from a few years ago <laughs> yeah just kind of like talking. i wonder like I wonder how many flat earthers were sprouted from that little thing. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but along may- those lines. Maybe here's a a better example is like you've got a lot of like inner city kids that kind of get lost in the system and they don't have great opportunity to make it out of the inner city and they look up to these professional athletes and they they think that sports is their only way out. And so they don't necessarily try as hard in the classroom. And that's not, hopefully that's not taken as me just speaking out of the side of my neck about the inner Mm -hmm. city programs. But I have in my time been exposed to inner city programs and I've been able to serve and mentor in some of that. But um, you ask a large majority of these kids and they want to play professional sports when I think a lot of these athletes could spend a lot of time mentoring these kids. I know that's tough with a professional athlete's schedule, but like really press them to 
apply themselves in the classroom and learn like skills and trades and like mm-hmm. equip them for what is the real world because reality is not professional sports. It's such a just mm-hmm. fraction of what these kids could do. Right. And I don't you don't see that enough of that type of good coming of it. Mm-hmm. But those kids all they think is professional sports and then when it doesn't happen they don't have much to fall back on because it was they weren't applying themselves as much. Yeah. Well, I can use LeBron James as an example for both things that I uh I like really appreciate in athletes and things that not necessarily I would tell them, Hey, you shouldn't have a voice, but I would say like, um, it's not a voice worth listening to. And here's my example. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that LeBron James is very outspoken on politics. He is honestly, honestly, that's fine because he's a citizen just like you and me. In Mm -hmm. my opinion, he has a Twitter. He can tweet. I'm not going to advocate for anybody to be suppressed of their right to express how they feel. So I guess my problem is not with LeBron James having certain political affiliations. It's more so with people listening to them. Because, you know, like I said, I don't want to suppress free speech. But on the other hand, you have media outlets that listen to every word he says. Right. And record every tweet and then that gets pushed out to even more millions Mm -hmm. and when you have espn or cnn these big people pushing an athlete's opinion just because he's an athlete that's where i have a problem i would rather them push the opinion of a let's say a well-known journalist Mm -hmm. you know or uh an economist Mm -hmm. on the subject of economics or in in recently the Chauvin trial, maybe the maybe the opinion of a well-known lawyer, you know, mm-hmm. that's something that would be more important rather than pushing. But on the on the flip side, I told you I'll give you an example of something that LeBron did that I'm a fan of. Right, and that's fair. He built a high school in an inner city yeah. school, and it might have been an inner city location, and it might have been in the district where he grew up. I'm not really sure, but either way, yeah. He flat out put his money where his mouth was and he built a school and it looked like a really, really nice school. You know, hey, that's an example of something where we can agree that, you know, you're doing something positive. It's not really a political thing. It's just trying to, you know. Mm -hmm. I definitely, I think I've seen some of his political statements tweets whatever you want to call it on espn and it is comical that that is shared on that platform it's like espn is not a most often not a political source so why shouldn't be yeah Yeah. why why was that necessarily shared whether you agree or disagree with whatever the tweet said is just like why is oh yeah it's it's irrelevant why is that the platform and because you have you have people that aren't necessarily educated on the topic that might be persuaded by a statement, not necessarily this one in particular, but if one was put out that isn't necessarily backed by any type Mm -hmm. of evidence, it's just a sports figure saying something to say something. Right. Because you've seen it on both sides of the coin. LeBron James is not the only one you've seen 
the other side too. Okay. And so it just gets the world out. involved. I'm going to throw out a, a hypothetical here. Here we go. If you had to guess on how many, like what percentage of sports fans, so not necessarily like you're like crazy about, like you wake up every morning and watch ESPN, but you're a fan of sports. Mm-hmm. What percentage of sports fans do you think in the United States are opposed to ESPN broadcasting politics? I'm assuming this stat is not out there. If it is, I'm not aware of it. This is off the top of my head. I'm just curious about what you think. I can't imagine many people are opposed to it. And the reason I say that is because I think most people just gloss over it. Okay. Like when it comes across the screen, I don't I don't think many people think one way or the other. There's just it's just like uh, there's LeBron James tweeting and some people may be like, "Oh yeah, I totally agree." Or people may be like, "I disagree." But I don't think many people are having this conversation like we are. It's like I don't think that should be the what ESPN does. So I think the people yeah, who are against I, politics being put on ESPN is small. Interesting. That's not what I expected you to say. Like, for example, I don't think Austin Maynard sitting at home with a political, politically relevant topic coming across ESPN, I don't think he's like, that shouldn't be on there. I think he is. I think he reads it and may either agree or disagree, but I don't think he disagree with ESPN putting it up there. I think if, if Austin Maynard's watching a baseball game or he's watching ESPN, whatever. And they do a whole segment on something politically related. He either turns it off or he says to himself, why in the heck is this on here? <laughs> and he, it's not like he's, it's not like he goes and tweets about it or like holds up, like holds up a sign on the corner of the street, like protesting ESPN. I'm not saying that, but I think, I think he, if given the option of an ESPN with only sports or an ESPN with politics every other day, he's definitely taking the former. Hmm. Yeah. And I would say, I would say the vast, vast, vast majority of sports fans would agree that if given the option between an ESPN with politics and an ESPN without politics, <laughs> they're going to take it without politics. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. I guess that's kind of the crux of what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's certainly dependent on how politically polarizing whatever is being shown is. Yeah. If it's it, w- on a spectrum closer to politically neutral but is definitely political, people care less. But yeah. If it definitely takes a political stance, the mm-hmm. other side is like what the heck ESPN I'm pissed off. Yeah, and it surprises me that they continued to do it because their ratings basically have tanked ever since they they went down that road. Just so, just strictly from a business standpoint, I'm yeah. surprised they did that. Like with the whole one thing I found myself battling is with the kneeling for the flag thing, and you they had the whole beef between Michael Thomas and Drew Brees. Like Drew Brees had made a tweet about his stance on kneeling for the flag. And Michael Thomas essentially responded on Twitter, 
I believe not directly to Drew Brees, but just he might have even subtweeted him. They they were just presenting that, and yes, it's sports related, but more politically enraging too. So it's like, mm-hmm. is that your job as ESPN to present the internal conflict of the New Orleans Saints? I don't, maybe so. I don't know. But I, I don't, I was like, man, I would, I'd rather not see that because mm. I, maybe it's because I'm a Saints fan and I like both of those players, but it's like, I don't, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see them getting in a fight about that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess at the end of the day, it's all about the money. You know, if they, if they think they're going to get, it is all about the money, it, then, then they're going to, they're going to broadcast it. I found out what truly Anyways. matters in life. What's that? Money? How much money you have. <laughs> That's from some. Is that from a. I was going to say movie, but I, you don't watch movies. No, it's from Vaughn. It's Cody Co. Oh. And he's like tapping his heart. Oh, yeah. He's like, I found Yeah, I know, I know Cody Co. Yeah. It's hilarious. What's the. Uh, what's this PGA popularity bonus? Oh, that was news that broke either earlier today or yesterday. The PGA has allocated. If I'm not mistaken, forty million dollars to for, to divvy up at the end of the year amongst players based on popularity, and I hope I'm not getting that completely wrong. But basically, there's no way they're using six metrics. I saw it on Golf Digest. Um, they're using six metrics to decide who of the players that year create the most attention for the brand and it's no creating this bonus incentive way, yes it's essentially what people talk about with the tiger tax and like how much money do players <laughs> owe tiger it's they're the tours repaying players for building their brand i mean i guess it's a I guess it's a smart business move without me really thinking about it. But. but you know what's the amazing part? The article that I read, they listed some players that are kind of on trend right now to receive the bonus. And it's names that you would predict. Like it's the obviously the most popular players. It's Rory's in there, JT's in there, Jordan Spieth is in yeah. there, Tiger's in there. The dude hadn't played an event all year. Uh, yeah. I guess this is based on, the, I mean, you said metrics. I'm sure they do it on a lot of things, but like clicks on the internet, like social media interaction, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, like, oh, I don't how, know. I feel like they, it gives, doesn't that give incentive for players to just do be like negative? Nutty, yeah. Be negative, do even like kind of be a little bit crazy or do anything to get a clip. Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson His name's in there, though. But he's also gotta, he's won yeah. twice this year, so that I mean I can't take it away from him. But Tiger, can Bryson, can Bryson get more crazy? Yes. Just for this, wait till the PGA bans arm lock putting. <laughs> he's gonna go ballistic. He's gonna go nuts. Dude. Yeah, it'll be a few years, but stay tuned. Hey, Bryson's Bryson next year. I'm calling it. He's using a 52 inch driver. <laughs> <laughs> oh man I just have to put this out there that I'm and tickled to death that he got ejected again at Augusta amazing with the quote being a par 67 and 
I don't know. He, he had it coming. I don't know that he broke. He, I know he shot over par two of the days. Over yeah, tr- true par, not his par. I'm looking it up. But I was I was really interested in this whole popularity program thing. Yeah, I I feel like yeah he finished plus three uh, plus or plus five total on round four he was plus three. But yeah, I think the popularity thing is is I'm not complete. I don't want to say I'm completely against it yet. I'm because, not because you know I'm not you know I'm a. I'm a proponent of chaos. You know, I'm that. not anti-popularity, but what I am is worried about it because it's like the rich get richer. Yeah, that's what's going to end like, up happening. Could I you feel like everybody knows who, what's this going to do. Could you see a guy like, uh, I don't know, Webb Simpson, who I'm a big fan of, big Christian guy, strong in his faith, just chippy. He'll get his mm-hmm. wins just along the way but not generate enough foot traffic to ever win the popularity contest. Yeah, it de-incentivizes just plain old keep your head down and play good. Right, right. You got to you got to do something extra, mm-hmm. I guess. You got to talk to your golf ball like Jordan Spieth or you got to get in be, a fight with a fan. Be Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, <laughs> get in a fight with a fan. Yeah, talk uh, talk talk physics mid swing. That's what you got to do. Say uh, sexually in- insensitive things to yourself on the putting yeah. green. Bryson Bryson next year, if if he like gets in the rough, he's gonna be like, uh, yeah, that was supposed to be seventy nine percent, and I did seventy eight. So that calculates to if I do the centrifugal velocity. Yeah, he's gonna be saying that right after he hits. Mm-hmm. Which whatever, man. I I mean I like that he's on the tour, right? We gotta have somebody to root against. Yeah, so he's the perfect welcome. villain. Welcome, Bryce. Yeah, I welcome. Yeah. You. I hate you. I hate you, but welcome. Mm-hmm. Take your seat <laughs> next to Pat Reed. Uh, okay. Next, next thing. So next what's topic? Uh, what, what's have you been going to counseling? Today was my first day. Yeah, I was. How'd that go? I loved it, man. It was fun. Tell me about it. Like, when did you decide you were going to go? Maybe three weeks ago, a month ago. I decided all the sleeping disturbances were the breaking point for me. Having night Mm -hmm. terrors and demonic dreams about possession that I didn't enjoy having that. And so I was like, need to get this taken care of real quick. I named my demon. I think I told you that. Uh, wait, what did you name your demon? Dimitri. Oh, that's right. You did tell me that. Yeah. Well, um, did you name him just, just being funny or did your counselor tell you to name him? No, no. Well, no, I named him really to, uh, I didn't know if that was like a psychoanalysis thing. mm -mm. I named him to humanize him, I guess. It was, it was a bit, I guess you would say. I played a game growing up, Sly Cooper. Dimitri was one of the villains that you had to fight. He was this little, I think he was French. He was a French lizard. Seemed, <laughs> seemed like a proper name for this demon that's been in my dreams. Man, the only thing worse than a lizard is a French lizard. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he had this thing that, in calling people a cracker box. I don't know. 
before you continue, the Cajun accent is the worst accent ever. <laughs> Speaking of French people, I just there's a guy that I saw like a TikTok of, and he's like Cajun, and he does like crawfish bowls and stuff. And dude, when he talks, I just hate him. So you're taking the bounding nonsense that Cajuns do over redneck, maybe even hick, if you will. See, the thing is, I grew up with that. Mm. So that doesn't bother me as much. But anyways, I'll let you... I, that's not... Bef- no, before we get off important. of that, oh, you got I, I want to make my case for... Okay. I think the worst is just backwoods hick. Mm. Solely based on rate of speech. Oh, you just sometimes right, I you just sometimes I sometimes I talk really slow, but when they talk so slow and the it sounds like they're having to force the accent that they have to make it mm-hmm. sound more country to their country peers. It right. drives me nuts. Like, yeah, I mean that'll be that's probably a close second. Just talk faster, please. I don't have time yeah. for this. Okay. Back to Anyways, back back to counseling. Back to counseling. Okay. So about a month ago I decided to take care of this sleeping trouble that I've been having. And of course, it's anybody good. that knows me, there's deep rooted issues that's not sleeping related. So that was a bonus. Called up my girl Ashley. Shouts out. Um today was my first day. It was it was fun. She was good. She The first question she asked, she was like, do you want to start pretty deep and talk about your family issues or do you want to start superficial and talk about your dreams? I was like, let's get to know each other. Let's talk about my dreams. And then we dove in from there. Um, is, is Ashley a counselor, a psychologist? What? She's a counselor. She has her master's in okay psychology or clinical psychology, whatever the master's is, I don't know. I can't pretend to know. Yeah. How often are you going to meet with her? At first I said once a week, but that seemed ambitious. We're going to do once every two weeks. Okay. But I I told her right there at the end, she was like, how often do you want to come? I was like, as often as I need for it to be beneficial. I was like, I don't want it to be once every six months like a dentist appointment because I'll cancel it just like I do my dentist appointments and then I won't see you for three years. <laughs> so she left. She was like, all right, let's do it. How, how old is she? It's tough to gauge. Okay. She started grad school in 2015, so she's pretty fresh out of grad school. Okay. The reason I was asking was like the re- relatability thing with ages, you know. Yeah. Like if if she was like really old, it, it's not like it's not always easy. Right. It's one of those things I've thought about that is like kind of like when you're searching for a small group, do you want to surround yourself by older gentlemen that have walked through that in years before you or do you want to surround mm-hmm. yourself by guys that are walking through it with you? Mm. Now, obviously, that's not applicable for a psychologist because I don't want my psychologist necessarily to be having night terrors with me. But mm-hmm. I could see how like one might want an older psychologist because they've been a, exposed to a lot of different things in their years of practicing. But yeah, yeah, I can see that. Too. I don't. I don't think she's that much older than me. If she's older than me, she might be thirty. Hmm. Well, I don't want to like delve into the details of your session or anything, but like, did you uncover anything about your dreams? That was a surprise. Um, 
maybe not about my dreams, but she made a, a very interesting link in that. And she doesn't know that I say things like this, but Eddie Pepperell is a golfer. He's He did a podcast years back where he talked about the guy on tour that wins is the one that can keep his do- demons the smallest. And he talked about the parallel with life. And I was like, that's so true. It's like the people in life that can keep their demons the smallest appear to be the happiest, maybe. That seems really deep and not everyone has demons, blah, 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 whatever. But it's an interesting and kind of comical parallel. Is like, you know what? If you can keep your demons pretty small, you're doing great. Like whatever your demon is, whether it be stress at work or you don't sleep mm-hmm. well. But um, so I've always made that joke about keeping my demons small. And I've got a, I've got a lot of demons, but again, who, who in this life doesn't have demons? And so I was telling her about my dreams having demons and she has never heard me mention that quote or that parallel to life. And she was like, maybe the demons that you see in your dreams are your, um, internalization of other people's demons. And I was like, that's interesting because Hmm. just like some of the family stuff that I've gone through, I tend to wear the problems that happen instead of dealing, coping, whatever it is. And so mm-hmm. I've taken that bag and just kind of internalized it. And she said, maybe. it's You can't really say for sure, but... It's an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. You're certainly a very empathetic person, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, as you know, every every positive has, you know, a negative that goes along with it when it comes to personality traits. Mm-hmm. It, and yours is you tend to wear other people's problems, apparently. To a fault, for sure. Yeah. But I'll, I'll concede this, and I'm not afraid to admit this to anyone. Guilt is one of my strongest felt emotions, and I, I've told her that. I've told Krista that. it's I've dealt with it since I was a kid. I accidentally stole a golf ball from Cracker Barrel when I was like eight years old. And I cried about it because I found out that those golf balls were being sold. But when I found it, it wasn't in a package. And so it was just Mm. like something I deal with. Yeah. And so as we talked over the course of the hour, I I mentioned many things, not realizing that I was admitting guilt over them. I was just talking. And she was like, you haven't forgiven yourself for a lot of things. And she began to list the things, like using it against me is what it felt like. She was like, you haven't forgiven yourself for this, 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 this. And she was like, I only found that out in 40 minutes. I'm sure there's a lot more in your lifetime. So self-forgiveness is was the theme of the day. I don't do it very well. Why not? Great question. I asked her that at the end. She was like, that seems like a good topic for the next session. And I was like, I hope that's not like your sales pitch to get me to come back because I'm already bought in. I'm whatever. <laughs> um, but I told you it was helpful. Yeah, it's awesome. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know how you forgive yourself. I mean, I get it from the perspective of like faith and Christianity. And it's like, you don't have to wear all that. You can like, that's why Jesus died on the cross was so that we mm-hmm. don't have to carry our burdens. Mm-hmm. But psychologically, I haven't figured it out. 
Hmm. Like I don't know how to let go of things. I'm I, I'm definitely not the person to give you any advice on that, so I'm not going to. Right. And I will I will give you my perspective on it though. I'm here for it. Because it's very, very different from yours. Um I've joked around with you. <laughs> this is gonna sound awful when no, I say no, no. that. You, I, you're as a matter of fact, I might have I might have said this on, on a previous episode before, kinda of jokingly, but I've joked around that I'm a psychopath because a hundred percent. Yeah, and and I'm not truly a psychopath because I do like I do have feelings. I do like feel bad if I hurt somebody's feelings, that kind of thing. But the reason I joke around about that is because I don't feel feelings the same way that other people do. <laughs> um, when you when you say I that, truly don't. Is do you feel like the emotion bank is there and you feel it less intense or you just don't feel certain emotions? The thing is, Mason, it's such a <laughs> like. Okay, short answer: I don't know, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna fumble my way through this because I've been trying to figure this out all my life, and I'm gonna try not to get too deep either. But like, I feel like the reason I don't feel guilty about certain things is because at a young age I learned a defense mechanism of avoiding feelings and avoiding being attached to things as, as a way of avoiding getting hurt. And that, when you learn that at a young age, you tend to apply it to little things, to everyday things. So say that, say like, um, I said something rude to somebody, uh, a, a, a colleague, you know, maybe mm -hmm. another student. And I said something that like, maybe they didn't understand my deadpan humor or whatever. I feel like other people would probably reach out to them later and be like, Hey, I didn't mean to sound that way. <laughs> but me being the psychopath that I am, I will double down on it sometimes and be, and like, I'll see them the next day and probably do another dry joke You're that savage. maybe sounds. And like, I think the reason I do that is because like if if I if I get in the habit of feeling like bad about things that I do even more than I already do, then I'll probably just be miserable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what what I found interesting about what you said early when you began speaking about I'm the one who needs was to well, we both do. For very different reasons, is you didn't allow yourself to form an attachment. Now, you know me right. well enough to see that I am very attached to a lot of things, like objects, not just emotions or memories or cities or whatever, like objects. You've seen me throw a pair of shoes in a tree symbolically. So that's very yeah, interesting yeah. that me and you differ. That might be the most, the biggest thing we differ in. I, I'm attached be because I would, I would, because I would never attach myself. I become to emotionally shoes. attached to things. Those pair of shoes meant a lot to me, and you know it. But <laughs> if it makes you feel better, though, I really enjoyed being a spectator <laughs> to that whole yeah, scenario. That, just can you explain that? So, like, just explain. People are thinking, okay, what is it? What are, why are they talking so about shoes? I wore a pair of New Balances 
that I got in college, probably mm, sophomore year of college, and I wore them until I graduated PT school. I wore the crap out of them. And I I don't know, it was like I was closing a chapter of my life, I guess the college and the PT school kid in me. And when I got out and was working, I bought myself a new pair of shoes. And when we were in Mobile playing around a golf, or we were in Foley, it was a golf course that I had emotional connections to. And it was a source of heartbreak at times, but I there's a tree there that has shoes hanging from it. And I was like, what better place to retire my cruisers that in a place that holds us a special part of my heart, but kind of hurts me at times too. So it just felt, it was very freeing. It was like, it was a tree that other people for some reason threw their shoes into. And I don't know why they did it, but it was, there's a lot of men out there that have closure on that golf course. Just like I do. I guess so, man. Yeah. But you, you definitely have, that's one of the, I guess that's one of the reasons that I'm friends <laughs> with you is because it's just like you have that part about you that you like everything yeah. is a story and everything is something everything is a memory to attach yourself to and I feel like if I didn't have that part then like uh, I feel like I would be missing <laughs> out on a lot of things now another thing you said that I related to was you were talking about saying something that was offensive and somebody might call them today yeah. we had a patient walk out of the clinic oh. 10 minutes into treatment I was not treating them it was one of our other clinicians but I was I'm the attending therapist like my I'm clinically responsible for this patient in quotes is what the documentation system says And so he left about 10 minutes in and both I and this other clinician were very confused. We were like, what the heck happened? Nothing was said to him. Nothing was offensive. Um, But she was talking to me, not the patient, but the other clinician. And she was, we were just kind of chatting about his case and like the best treatment methods. And it was a genuine conversation about what is the best approach to him. And he just walks out the door and I'm like, what is going on right now? And he hops on his motorcycle and is just gone, not coming back. So it leads me to what you said. I called him a couple hours later. and was like, what is going on? Like checking in on him. I didn't know if he was mad at me, mad at her. It's like, what is happening? And just wanted to like mm-hmm. offer any type of apology that might make him feel better if it was warranted. And Needless to say, he was just frustrated with a lot of different things outside of physical therapy. And I was just like, hey, man, if if you need your treatment changed up, if you feel like you're not getting the best treatment possible, just let me know. Communicate with me, all this other stuff, just offering all these things. Not saying you wouldn't have done that, but it was just a very interesting statement. Mason, can I be completely yeah. can I be completely honest here? That call would have never <laughs> left my phone. You know why? Because that guy chose to leave, right. and that was rude. Because we had an appointment set up, and he and he just left without. If he's got a problem with me, then he should have came to me. And that that's the thing is like it had nothing to do with dollars and cents. It wasn't. There's money walking out the door. It wasn't this or that. It was just like, man, was he mad at me for something? <laughs> was this a personal issue? <laughs> Man, what's it like to be a good person? <laughs> I'm not a good person. 
I'm a harmless person. I'm not. I'm not dangerous. Oh shit! Yeah, you were. You're I'm not a dangerous back. person that chose to be good. I'm just back, harmless. Bro. Okay. Okay. There was there was a quick thing that I wanted to say. Here bringing that. I'm glad back. you brought that back up. <laughs> yeah. Um. So imagine. The, uh, this might help explain mm-hmm. why this thought came to my head, and I'm not very good at explaining it, but like, you have two two guys, okay? One of them grew up in a uh, sheltered household, well off, never got in any trouble, never really did anything wrong, went to college, has a job, mm-hmm. wife and two kids, right? Okay, now you have another guy, grew up on the other side of the tracks, poor, grew up in a violent home always in trouble, probably in and out of jail. Which one, okay, between those two guys, if they both do something really good, like say, I don't know, volunteer at a at a boys club, like a, uh, like a YMCA thing, whatever, which one is more important? Which one do you give more value to, more weight to? I don't want to be wrong here. But well, I mean, most people would probably say the guy yeah. who grew up in a violent household. Yeah. The value is there more. because he overcame a lot. Yeah, because he's making a to make an impact. Right. Right. So, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at in saying that is like, I f- I don't want I don't want to ever be in the boat of like being just right there in the middle not getting in any trouble, not challenging myself to use what I've been given, but just staying out of trouble. I kind of want to, I would rather take a (laughs) risk every now and then. So it's all about taking, I don't know. It's just, it's not all about it, but that's part of it. I'm not really good at explaining this, but you know, I think you get the general idea of why that came to my head. Yeah. I see what you're saying there. The expectations are different of those two individuals. Yeah. Is this a good time for me to bring up the word of the week that I hate that people <laughs> yeah. mispronounce? Is is this a bench warmers reference? Okay. Okay. No, it's not, it's actually not. But you shut up. You haven't seen haven't. that movie or any other movie. <laughs> So this word came up today in lab by one of my professors who is a doctor and who did not say it right. The word is athlete. Can you say that word athlete. for me, Mason? I said that really country. I now can you let me try again. Now can you say it? Can you say it wrong? It has the to wrong be way? athlete. Three syllables. Right, because there's n- yes, there's nothing between. The H and the L. Now, why does that irritate me so badly? Athel- athlete. I just don't. I don't like it when people add things I, that aren't. Dang! There. I thought of one the other day at the clinic. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it's whatever. If you think of it, you can tell me. But I just don't like it when people add extra syllables to it. Anyways, that's the word. That's the word discrepancy of the week. 
The word discrepancy of the week. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny. I uh, I don't have an idiom. That's all right. I can find one real quick. I'm really happy you went to counseling. Yeah, same. I <laughs> I asked I feel her. Like you're the, sorry, go ahead. I asked her practical applications for me. I was like, how do I f- forgive myself? within the next week. And she said, chill out. I haven't made your treatment plan yet. It was like her enticing me to come back. I like that. Yeah. I think we could talk. I think we could talk a little bit more about that. You want to? I mean, I would like to. Oh, well, I feel like there's some, I feel like there's some things that we did. We kind of left with my counseling experience or with counseling in general. Mm, no, with your forgiveness. I want to really uncover this. Okay. Well, I do want to offer this tidbit too. This has nothing to do with self-forgiveness, but it was a, a little nugget that I realized I have in myself is that she asked if I had sought any other medical um, advice or attention for my dreams. And I responded with, I don't want to be medicated. And it was like, it came out so quickly. I'd, it might have been a defense mechanism, and it probably stems with from a lot of my familial issues. And she was like, whoa. And I was like, yeah, I didn't mean for that to happen. But it's like, I don't I don't want to take medication. So did she write, did she immediately look down at her notebook? Yeah, sorry, scribbling, down? yeah. <laughs> she kind of did, though. But it was like... I realized I did not want to go to a doctor because the options seemed to be refer me to counseling or give me medication. So I went straight to the source. I was like, screw the doctor. Don't want to be medicated. Yeah. I mean, that's fair enough. Like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think you did the wrong thing. No, no, no. That, that just, it came from the heart and yeah. that's nothing against anybody who's medicated, but I have seen chronic medication use in my family, not only opiates, but also uh, anti-anxiety, antidepressants, the whole, the gamut. And Mm -hmm. I I didn't want to fall victim to tinkering of medications that my mother has. I wanted to go to counseling first. If medication was even warranted, I may not be clinically diagnosed with anxiety or anything like that. Do you forgive others easily? Uh, ooh, man. I finished a sentence and get hit with that. <laughs> uh, no. Why not? I don't know. It's a good question. I've I've held grudges for a long time for no good reason, and it's it's not something I want to do. Like believe me, forgiving somebody and being their friend is way easier than not forgiving them. And remaining their friend because I, I've been wronged by close friends and what felt like being betrayed and being around them at times is really tough and it's superficially yeah I've forgiven them but deep down I still have this like uh, kind of aggravation about it so can I say that it's fully forgiven probably not like if it was fully forgiven, surely I wouldn't still feel that little bit of agitation, right? 
Yeah, no, I mean, if it was fully forgiven, I don't think you would be agitated about it. Like, of of course. Like, like every time you, you're around this person, it comes to mind. Right. And it's agitating. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I can't say it's every time, but, like, of course, the the Christian Sunday school answer in me is like, yeah, forgive everyone who's wronged you and extend grace just as Jesus has extended grace to me. But at the end of the day, psychologically, I haven't overcame that. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to forget. I don't have a short-term memory when it comes to being wronged or doing wrong. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about how every positive has a negative. Mm -hmm. Your positive is that you attach yourself to things. Mm -hmm. The negative is that you You attach attach yourself yourself. to things. I mean, like it's, it's hard for you to let go of something when you've, you've put so much of yourself into it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I said it's, it's difficult for me to like give you advice because I mean, and I'm not, I'm not going to really offer you any advice on it. But because I don't have that attachment to things, I don't. It's it's easy for me to let things go for mm-hmm. the most part, because I just don't really care, you right? Know? And I'm not I'm not projecting this suggestion from you. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. But I don't care. Could it be that? And this is I'm again thinking out loud that. M- my problem isn't entirely the ability to forgive. It's the overinvestment, the over-emotional investment into circumstance. Like, I hesitate to say yes to that. And the reason is because if you took that away from you, then you cease to be you. Right. And that's true. But how do you how do you build upon this? How do you go from being the one that finds it difficult to self forgive or forgive or um, forget wronged situations, or even like f- making up some sense of purpose in every little moment, even if that purpose does not exist? How do you move on from that? Like, is it something? Can I differentiate the two? Hmm. Like, can I differentiate a circumstance where, say, I have done wrong and learn from it and build upon it and find purpose in that moment from other moments that have equal purpose in building me as a human? But, like, why is it fair that I can say one's positive and one's negative and, and never do the negative? Because... There was a podcast that we did several several back, and that was one of the topics I brought up was like the pain-pleasure spectrum. Mm-hmm. It's like you yeah. can't have one without the other. Right. You can't feel pleasure unless you truly know what pain feels like. Right. And so how can I truly find purpose in one if not the other? Is that way too deep for the end of no, a podcast? No, 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 no. I love that. Uh, I don't think you should start this journey of learning how to forgive from the mindset of one day I'm going to be able to forgive anybody of anything. Okay. I think you will always, given your personality, this will always be something that you battle with. Mm-hmm. 
and sometimes more than others. Just given it's it's kind of like how I've accepted how I'm an anxious person. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I don't think that will I don't think it'll always be as bad as it is now. I think there will be times where it's better and it's worse, but it's always going to be something that I battle with. Right. And and that's kind of like that's the price you pay for having in my case it's the price I pay for being highly neurotic and thinking about things a lot mm-hmm. and ruminating on things a lot. Sure. It's the price you pay for being such an empathetic and caring person. Yeah. Is that you know is that a challenge that you've welcomed? Is that payoff? Something it's, I mean it's it's kinda like dealing with it's kinda like dealing with the human condition. You just accept it. Yeah. Because we live in a broken world. And in your case, I'm gonna divert away from me. Of course. And, I would. In your case, um you it, it sounds like it's hard for you to accept the fact that people mess up, people are disloyal to you, they do wrong to you. Mm-hmm. And and also it's hard for you to deal with the fact that you are a sinful person and you have to battle with your own demons. Right. And and you're not perfect and you're not the person that, you know, perhaps God sees you to be in the future. Right. You know? And what's really cool about that, and it's something that I've thought about through this psychoanalytical journey that you put me on like five years ago is there is an egotistical component of it. It's like in high school and maybe even early college, I've had people close to me kind of put it on me. It's like, Oh, you don't understand these problems because you're perfect or you don't understand this because you come from a perfect family or you name it. The statement's been made about that. Mm-hmm. When in re- you. yeah, when in reality, that's far from true. I was hiding a lot of things. I had become the world's best at hiding the true demons that I battled myself and within my household, and I was okay with that. I didn't want to taint that perfect image that people had of me. Mm-hmm. I was okay with being the perfect kid, and I realized that. I don't I don't want that anymore. I don't want to be the perfect kid. But for some reason it is hard it is still hard to not be. In that like to, to to not try to be to not try to be the perfect kid. Like I've come to grips with the fact that I don't know, I've really embraced the the mental health thing and it's that's so important and I'm willing to put it out there that like hey, I'm going to counseling because I don't handle these things well and I don't sleep well, it's like, I'm not perfect. But the component that I struggle with is admitting wrong. And like, if you brought up things of my past and there's some pretty big ones that people could put me on blast for, it's like, you messed up in these ways in tainting what was the perfect image from back in the day. That is painful. Yeah. I that that may not make sense to some people, but it's like I don't know. Well, it's I mean, an interesting all, dichotomy, I guess, is one way yeah. to look at it. 
well, we all have these labels that are put on to us and we put on to other on to others at a young age. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to it's hard to shed those. Right. Um Yeah. But I think um as as um as much as you think about issues, as much as you think about things that you battle with, you know, I'm optimistic that you'll figure you'll figure something out mm-hmm. about how to how to deal with forgiveness because um I I guess it's different for everybody, you know. Right. And maybe one day I'll learn how to better attach myself to certain <laughs> things. <laughs> This is this is more just rambling because you've got my wheels spinning. This is your fault. But an, another thing that I hold dear is like my pursuit of purpose. I think is it Chris Hodges' book that's a purpose driven. Who wrote a purpose driven life? I'm sorry, I don't even know. It doesn't matter. There's a book called A Purpose Driven Life. Yeah. Regardless, I can't believe it's not on the top of my head. I know. Either. I've. Uh, it's not Pastor Chris. Uh, Rick Warren. Rick Warren. Yeah. Oh, shouts out to Rick Warren. I didn't realize that. Um, yeah. Shouts out Pastor Warren. But that's like, that's what I'm on is, I don't know what necessarily what it is at this point, but I, I do believe that each of us have a calling to make an impact kind of beyond the superficial dreams that we chase. And I'm certainly on that quest. I want to find what truly is my purpose in this life, but I fear and this is a real fear and I I wish I didn't have it that the mistakes I've made and you can sure you can compare apples to oranges and say, Oh Mason, you haven't messed up in these ways and compare me to somebody else. But I fear that the mistakes that I've made my last lifetime, uh, discredit my ability to do what I'm actually called to do. And it holds me back sometimes, but that's like the case for a lot of people who go on to do certain things. They all say the same thing, but that's a real fear and it's because of the guilt that I carry from those things. And it goes back Wait, to this. But how does, how does, how is, how is something that you've done that you're ashamed of affecting what you're capable of now? It's, it's very, uh, it's a very specific situation that I envision in my head. It's like, for example, someone calling me out is like, Oh, don't listen to that guy because he did X, Y, and Z. And then all of a sudden, like your image that's out there, is tainted by someone like mudslinging like political mudslinging is kind of like what I'm thinking of not saying that that's ever going to happen. I'm not going to run for office. I'm not called for politics. I don't know necessarily what I am called for, but what I do know is that sometimes I do fear that someone at some point will put me on blast for something that I did that I may have even forgotten that I did. And people are gonna be like, Oh, well I can't trust that guy. It's very specific. It's irrational, but it's real. Do you think that our do you think that like our culture has had an influence on this? Cancel culture for sure. I'll even put okay. that out there. It's like people get canceled for everything. Yeah. Like small things. We've had this discussion. We've gone back and forth on it in different capacities, mm-hmm. but people get canceled for everything and I'm trying my darndest not to slip up because like we made, I made reference to one earlier. Justin Thomas got dropped by his title sponsor in golf for calling himself a homophobic slur. 
which you can take your stance on that and do what you will with it. But it's like that real things happen like that. And of yeah. course I strive every day to, it can go back to your quote. Even it's like trying to stay out of trouble. Like I might be that person that tries to stay out of trouble. And I told Ashley that at counseling, it's like, I'm a rule follower. I don't want people to be upset with me. And so there are certain aspects of cancel cancel culture that have influenced me. And a lot of it's for the good. It's like, I've, I've been, I've become more aware of some of the things that I've been surrounded by in my lifetime that are insensitive, but also, you can't walk through life scared to make mistakes because then no. like you said, you're not going to take the risk that may be necessary to reach your fullest potential. And so that's an interesting line to balance. It's, it's a tough line to walk to not saying, not saying it's a tough line to walk and being, not being racist and doing your job. That's not what I'm talking about, but you yeah. see what I'm saying is, no, I definitely see what you're you can't, saying. I mean, it's, you can't walk here every day thinking about what might go wrong because it's going to hold you back. Exactly. I mean, you're perfectly aware that that is something that is is going to hold you back if you have that mm-hmm. thought. So, um, but I think a lot of people are that way. A lot of people live their life, you know, worried about being called out of something that they've done. Mm-hmm or worried about worried about stepping on somebody's shoes and I think one thing that helps with that is just having a really good understanding of the fact that we live in a broken world mm-hmm. and that everybody is messed up. Mhm. It doesn't matter who it is, everybody has their own stuff that they're dealing with. Right. And I think if if you have a truly good understanding of that, it does help. I'm not going to say it just makes it go away, but like definitely helps me like if i've if i've screwed up and i keep beating myself up about it which happens very often (laughs) um you know like one thing that helps is like understanding that hey look people have screwed up way worse than i have people have done the exact same that i that the exact same things that i've done Mm -hmm. and 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 moved on from there and you know it's not the end of the world right um all of this is just, you know, and I feel like everybody knows this, so it's probably not going to help anybody. But um, right, it's just I don't know. I just I I just I think if you have a really good understanding of, you know, evil, the the condition of evil yeah. in 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 this world, it's it's easier to move on. Right. Um, and we it's it's one thing that we as a society too that you've got to extend grace. And I know I talked about my difficulties forgiving, and all those are very specific circumstances. They are not my inability to extend grace to someone who might have said something insensitive in general. That's not what I'm talking about. But we just have to extend grace in all circumstances because we we expect that grace when we mess up. And so mm-hmm. we have to extend it too. And I don't think today's society is doing a good job of that. It's very quick to place blame and be polarized Mm -hmm. and that's tough. And like you said, you have to realize that you mess up just like the person next to you. Yep. I think that was really good. Well, 
Do you want to wrap it up? Yeah. I'm probably going to. For sure. Probably going to go study. Yeah. Unfortunately. Oh, are you serious? Uh, Dang. That's, yeah. That's a tough life. Uh, I, I, get my, I get a lot of work done at night, late. I respect it. How about that? screw you man there's a t at the end (laughs) that that might have been the word maybe not but respect put some respect on my name put put some respect on it yeah no no but just quick side note if somebody says something intentionally knowing that it's incorrect that does not bother me one bit unless they do it enough maybe if they do it enough but if if somebody says it like in a normal conversation and just glosses over it. Yeah. I want to be like, hold up. What did you just say? Hold up. That's not the word you're looking for. Yeah. Anyways. Well, sorry. It was a good one. I, I rambled a little bit. So sorry if you didn't want to listen to the rambling, but we'll cut it all out. It'll just be me talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I think it was good though. I feel much better. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that'll be $50. <laughs> I only had a $20 copay. <laughs> I'll take Blue Cross Blue Shield. I bet. Uh, all right. Anyways, um, this was episode 16. Thanks for listening. This See you is- in the next one.